Um, welcome, everybody. My name is Bill Brown, and I am the executive director for Prison Yoga Project. And welcome to the Prison Yoga Project webinar and podcast series. Um, my guest today is Chris, Chris Spelina, who is a program manager and meditation instructor with the Phoenix, New Jersey. Um, he is in sustained recovery since May 24th, 2018. And Chris found the Phoenix while in treatment and transitioned from a team member, uh, or sorry, from a volunteer and member to a full-time team member. He found his calling sharing what he learned in his recovery journey uh, with all who may benefit. Uh, Chris enjoys yoga, meditation, mountain biking, and gardening. And uh, so we're going to spend some time, we're going to get to know Chris a little bit better, and then we are going to talk a little bit more uh, about uh, the Phoenix, what the Phoenix is, and how folks can, can get involved. Um, and then we'll open things up for some questions and answers uh, uh, in the second, uh, uh, or the back third of the, of the program today. Um, so Chris, uh, we like to start off. I, I think we were supposed to, I was supposed to confirm with you before we got started. Are you happy to lead us in a little bit of a grounding exercise to start off? I, I am. I would be, I would be honored. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank, thanks for having me today. And thanks everyone for coming. All right. So we'll just start off, um, get into a comfortable position, whatever that means for you today. For me, that means I'm sitting with my feet flat on the floor. Uh, my back straight up and down with the crown of my head pointed towards the sky and my hands resting on my lap. Can lower the gaze and find one single point of focus or close the eyes. And we'll begin by taking a few breaths together, inhaling deeply, exhaling slowly. Inhaling deeply. And exhaling slowly. Inhaling deeply. And this time when we exhale, pushing all of the air out of the lungs, a big cleansing breath out. And simply return to your normal rhythm or cadence of breath. As we settle in, take a moment. Notice everything that's happening in the present moment. Notice any sounds that might be present. Notice anything you might smell. Notice anything you might see, even with the eyes closed.
Notice the temperature of your surroundings. Notice the points of contact that the body is making with the seat, cushion or floor. And take a moment to notice any thoughts that are happening. And if the mind starts to wander or get overwhelmed or distracted, try to bring the focus back to the breath. Making no effort to change the rhythm or cadence, just simply observing, inhaling, and exhaling. Continue this practice of observing the sensations of the breath for a few moments. As we come to the end of this grounding practice, we'll end just as we started with a few breaths together, inhaling deeply, exhaling slowly. May we be at ease. May we be free from suffering. And may we find true happiness and joy. If you had the eyes closed, you can flicker them back open and come back to the room. Oh, thank you so much. Um, it's nice to settle. It's nice to just have the opportunity to be present lately. Uh, was talking with a friend early this morning about how much, um, you know, screens draw our attention. And even though we're here on screens now, it feels very different to me. But uh, the opportunity to be aware of how much is happening in every moment uh through the senses and feeling what's happening in my body and aware of the breath it's just 
such a gift to be able to have that that time so thanks for holding space for that thank you Bill. this morning um so we often like to start these uh conversations with a you know just uh asking where is it that uh you first encountered uh mindfulness or yoga and uh and we'll, we'll see where the conversation takes us from there Okay. Yeah. I, I have a thought first and I'm in line with that question of what you were just saying, Bill, about how many things are happening and, you know, when we have the opportunity to notice them and then like looking back now, I'm thinking of the point where I was first introduced to meditation and mindfulness and having the experience of having that realization of like how much time that I wasn't concentrating on the present moment and all the things I missed for 35 years before, before I had these practices or before someone open the door for me. Um, but it was a long journey to get to where I was, but we'll, we'll just start at that point. Um, I was first introduced introduced to meditation, mindfulness and, and Buddhist principles while I was in treatment, uh, back in 2018. Um, all right, we'll get into the, the story leading up to that after this, but at that point, I think it's really important, a pivotal moment for me in my, in my journey. Um, after, after some, some hard times, I went into a treatment center for substance use disorder and, um, clinician there, her name was Ashley. I sat down on her couch, young woman shared, shared some experiences with her, things that, that had happened to me, things that had worked for me in my journey, things that hadn't worked for me. And, um, and she said, well, Hey, I have some of the similar experiences and, and you know, what really turned it around for me was yoga and mindfulness. And at first I was like, well, I have no idea what that is. Um, She's like, well, we're going to start with yoga. She introduced me to yoga and, and I kind of laughed at first and was like, sure, I'm going to go, you know, grab my Lululemon tights and start yoga. And that's going to solve all of my problems. And, uh, but really at this point, um, I was ready to take suggestions, whatever, whatever had worked for somebody else I was willing to try. So I said, okay, let, let's mm -hmm. do this. Um, and, and right away, um, I kind of just felt I kind of felt like I like arrived somewhere. I kind of like found that place in the next step of my journey, like right away. The the first time that I had a, a yoga experience with, with this person. Um, so now I'll, I'll, we'll rewind a little bit if, if that sounds good, Bill, sure, leading sure. up to this moment. Yeah. Um, so I had been a person that had suffered from a substance use disorder from early on since high school, 13 or 14 years old on and off. Um, a lot of a lot of people that are listening to this will will realize the timeline this is around like 2000 and 2001 when the, the Sackler family decided that they were going to destroy uh, our country so my primary drug of choice was opioids um mm -hmm. and i i went to my first treatment center after i graduated college i went to Monmouth university i graduated in 2005 and three weeks later i had gotten arrested for the first time and had to admit that i had a problem with substances and went to a treatment center in miami um, 21 years old, still like not really wanting to admit that I was someone that needed help, but I was kind of forced into it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I went there and then it, anybody who is familiar with the treatment industry now or the treatment industry back then, 20 years ago is vastly different in what the options were. So what it looked like for me was to go to a detox that my parents had to pay a significant amount of money for in Southeast Florida and, uh, would wake up in the morning and go to three 12 step meetings in the morning and then come back and maybe meet with a clinician and then go back out and go to three more 12 step meetings 
um, come back and eat dinner and then go to another 12 step meeting at night for, for 30 days. So seven 12 step meetings in a day for 28 days. And me having the experience of being raised and going to Catholic school and having organized religion kind of like force fed to me at the time. And, um, at, at the time my experience with 12 step was like, if you don't have a belief in God or this God, um, there's, there's no other way for you. So I kind of was turned off to it. And, um, I land, I came back to New Jersey from that treatment center and went right back to what I was, was doing. So it just was at a point where I was like, this is, I can remember somebody actually saying like, if you want what we have, this is what you have to do to get it. And I was like, I don't want anything that you have. Cause I'm not willing to do this. Um, but that was an, an unnecessary and unfortunate choice for me at the time. Fast forwarding, um, through the years, that was in 2005 to 2011. I ended up going to four or five more treatment centers, multiple arrests, multiple short incarceration periods, county jail. Um, and then in 2011, I, I got arrested in, in upstate New York. The Hudson Valley people will, will recognize this. I was at a fish concert, the band fish in upstate New York, and I got arrested with a pretty substantial amount of narcotics. And um, there's a, there's a big disparity in how drug cases are are handled in upstate new york and new jersey because through all of my previous arrests here it was like okay we understand that this is this is an issue this is a problem for you we'll give you probation we'll, we'll try to get you some help all that in new york they're like yeah, nope you're going to go to prison so um i i ended up getting sentenced to three years in prison for for a pretty substantial charge in upstate new york um luckily they don't have this anymore, but at the time they had it, well, they may have one, but they don't have this particular program that I went to. They had a diversionary program called shock incarceration, which was basically a six month long program that was modeled after a military boot camp. So waking up in the morning and uh, saying, sir, yes, sir. And having to go out in the morning and do all these physical exercises, running, um, doing all kinds of push-ups and everything like that, making my bed soda at hospital corners. And at first it was very intimidating, but the option of doing three years in a, in a medium security prison or six months in, in this diversionary program, uh, uh, six months sounded better to me, no matter what I had to do. If you had told me to stand on my head for six months, I would have done it just to kind of like shorten my time there. Um, but what I learned from that was organization and discipline were not my strong suits. So I got that right away. And, um, you know, still a person that was smoking a pack and a half of cigarettes a day, never thought about physical fitness before. After some time there, the, the physical aspect of it was really rewarding for me. I started feeling better. I started feeling like the, my brain chemicals started, um, you know, balancing out a little bit. Right. And uh, it was a, it was an overall positive experience for me when I finished that. So I, I finally, felt like optimistic about what life was going to look like for me. I can remember having one of those like lightning bolt flashes while I was in there of like, well, life can be good without all the things that you're doing. There is another way. Yeah. And um, I stayed, I was able to stay clean and sober substance free for over a year when I left that program, just based around the physical fitness piece. So I know that that was something that was going to be part of the puzzle for me. Um, unfortunately, after that year, when uh, the the supervision period was over for me, I kind of slowly started doing the five Ks and races, and then going to the bar afterwards and having a drink with the people I finished the race with, and slid back down a little bit to to the same kind of patterns that I was living through before. Hmm. Um, so then, like between two thousand and thir 
2014 when that happened in 2018 when i finally had my my last experience with with substances something new started happening this is around the time that fentanyl became a big thing in our country so between 2014 and 2018 uh, the new thing for for me was to have to start overdosing accidentally like between those four years i had three near very near fatal overdoses um new like this i was coming to the end of the line with this with my with my uh with hopefully not my life but with my experiences with substances and then finally on may 24th of 2018 i had one of those very near fatal overdoses right here um in my car luckily i wasn't driving but i was in the car right here in front of my house and woke up to the police giving me cpr narcan the whole the whole scene and during um that sort of resuscitation at least from my experience you don't really remember much kind of like a little bit in a haze but what i do remember is one of the police officers that i know for a long time um pointing out that there were some kids playing basketball maybe 50 yards away from me and she was like you know what are you doing you could have killed these kids and you would have spent the rest of your life in prison and that was kind of one of those things was like i'd already been to prison i don't i don't want to go back there i know i don't want to hurt anybody so i really just had to make a decision and i went to monmouth county jail for for two months luckily the uh the prosecutor and my attorney made a deal that they said look we're going to keep you here unless you can find somewhere to get some help and my family my girlfriend worked out to find a, a treatment center that would accept me and that's what led me to finding that clinician finally after two months i was released in the sheriff's van in handcuffs with a full beard and still in the same clothes i got arrested and um and got, got brought to that treatment center wow um that uh your life being so close to losing it and then the thought yeah that if these kids had come over that it could have meant the end to them that is a that's a wake-up call amazing um this this new treatment center was there something about it this is where you encountered uh i think you said her name was ashley ashley yeah yeah so so yeah what was different about this was that this woman ashley had had a similar experience to me where she had tried everything to 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 find her way and wasn't able to and somebody introduced her to meditation buddhism yoga and um that's what that's how she finally got clean and sober so what was special about this was that they the treatment center had kind of saw something special in her and let her kind of create her own treatment plan around holistic practices like this which was different than anything i had ever seen before and i was like you know i knew that i i knew that i had to do something different and this was what was put in front of me um um so so that's what was and the other piece that i think was impactful for me was most of the time when i and this is my own experience this is not going to be the same experience for everybody um this specific treatment center was only about 15 miles from where i live so in being in, in all the other experiences i had with treatment and incarceration it was in other states so mm -hmm. the, the things that i built up for my aftercare or what i was going to do or the community of like-minded individuals that i was going to spend time with in my sobriety journey I was leaving them and coming back to home and they weren't there anymore so the fact that this place and all the foundations that i was setting for my recovery um was local i think was a big thing for me too 
Yeah. Say a little bit more about that, because I think this is really important um, to just be pulled out of your life. And uh, I mean, it sounds honestly the 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 first 38 or 30 day, seven day or seven AA meetings a day. That sounds like hell. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And uh, and then to just be taken from that uh that's not creating a new set of habits and a new set of relationships and a new set of supports so well i i can see the benefit of if if that was i mean I, I, creating the habit of going to these meetings and and organizing a community of sober people that you're going to be spending time with ones that have been there before you and can kind of lead the way for you i think is beneficial mm-hmm. so i had done that while i was in florida but then i left florida and came back to new jersey and it was on me to kind of you know, find another community to be part of and, you know, being someone that had some, uh, like depression, anxiety, other emotional distresses, it wasn't the easiest thing for me to do. It was just easier for me to go back to what I was, you know, comfortable being uncomfortable and living a, a not healthy lifestyle. So the fact that when I, and when I came here, um, with the support of that clinician, and this is how I found the Phoenix as well, which I think is very important while I was there, um, Amy Emily, who, who you've met before, who was also a director for the Phoenix, um, she had had a nonprofit locally. Um, I don't think that she'll mind me saying that she has some similar experiences to me in forms of her recovery journey, that these are the practices that that helped her save her life. Um, she had started a local nonprofit called Root to Rise that was a sober community of people that were doing yoga and meditation. In addition to other things, therapy, medication, 12-step meetings, whatever it is that you were doing, but we were all coming together and sharing in these practices. So while I was still in that treatment center, Amy came in and, and uh, taught a yoga class to me and asked me what I was going to do when I left. And I didn't have an answer for her because like I had said, I'd been to seven or eight different treatment centers before and I'd always done the same thing when I left, come back and go back to what I was doing that was unhealthy. Yeah. So quite quite literally, she she invited me to join a community of people that were doing all of the things that I knew that I needed to do for my own recovery journey. Um, and, and had I been not local, I don't think that would have been able to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, thanks for uh, stitching that together. I didn't, I didn't know that Amy had come into that recovery center and that that's how the two of you had met. Um, You know, this is making me think about one of the reasons why I feel like PYP uh, as an organization is so attracted to the Phoenix because I mean, uh, like a lot of the folks that I have known for years and, and, and practice with inside, um, in some circumstances, they're in a place that does support them very well. And I'm talking about a very specific yard in a prison in San Diego here called Echo Yard. Um, and anybody who's seen like a recent, uh, you know, anything with me um, knows that I talk about Echo Yard. Um, you know, it's uh, unlike any any other place because the folks that are incarcerated there kind of made a decision at the time that it was built and they were starting to bring people in that we were going to get along that we weren't going to have conflicts because we don't want to live in fear. We have an opportunity to get out and we want to support each other in doing that. And so there is a lot of sense of community support and they're trying to make it feel less like a prison and trying to bring, you know, make it feel more like being on the outside. And, and there's a, a, some of the practice with, and, 
uh, when he was released, uh, the first time I talked to him was about six months after he had been released. And he said, you know, in that last six months that I was on Echo, um, I think I was the most happy and content that I've been in my life. And he was contrasting that to being outside um, where he is met with, um, um, you know, a lot of chaos. Everything moves much more quickly than it does on the inside. And there's uh, just a lot of noise. And also, I think not a community that's intentionally created to be mutually supportive as as the decision that they've made in that yard uh happens and and i think this is the case for a lot of the people that we work with that when when they get out even if they may have had a program that was working for them on the inside that there isn't some that same support on the outside and we've not been able to successfully create that community on the outside that's that can be that support. I think we're moving in that direction. But this is what the Phoenix really, I think, is founded around, right? Yeah. So I think that's a this is a perfect, perfect opportunity. So like I was saying, Amy had created this local community called Root to Rise, um, which to to your point, if you were from Monmouth County, New Jersey, it was amazing. You were going to get the support you needed. But whereas, you know, when Amy decided and Jackie and Scott decided that we were going to align ourselves with the Phoenix as a national organization, that just brought her mission and the mission of the Phoenix to more and more people. Because if I had gone to a treatment center in Florida, like I have in the past, and been introduced to the Phoenix sober active community there, and then come back to New Jersey, I would have had a warm handoff to the community that already exists here. And that now exists nationwide. We have over 150,000 members in 42 different states and a few countries outside of America. So I think that's really that's really the magic that's happening as being part of a national sober movement. Yeah. Yeah. With the that is that is, I think, very simply it's founded on very simple principles as well. Um, yeah. Can you say a little bit more about what like the what those principles are and and what the Phoenix hopes to create? Sure. Yeah. I think that the best way to do that is just to share our mission statement. So the Phoenix is a nationwide nonprofit organization. Our mission is to build sober active community that fuels resilience and harnesses the transformational power of connection so that together we rise, recover, and live. Fuels resilience and harnesses the transformational power of connection, I think says it all. Like I think that some of the things that we do as the Phoenix, um, our foundation was based upon, you know, Scott Strode, when he first got sober, he got sober running these Ironman races and rock climbing and ice climbing and boxing and all these things. So physical fitness is part of it, but we've also now evolved to yoga, meditation, art. Uh, we just launched this big music campaign. Right. So, and I'm coming to this kind of like conclusion. And I think a lot of others is the, the the things that we're doing together are important, whether that's yoga or CrossFit or climbing. But what is really important is that we're doing it together. Because yeah. I've had times where we went and sat in a room and played board games and have been some of the most impactful events that I've went to and laughed the most and had the most fun and felt the most connection. So really, I think that that's the whole principle is let's bring people together that are are on some sort of a healing journey. Uh, we know this is going to be a safe place for them. The only requirement is that you have 48 hours of sobriety. So that means a person that is in recovery from substance use disorder or mental health challenge, a person that is a supporter of someone that is, or you just want to come have some sober fun. We're all just out there, you know, walking each other home as Ram Das would say. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it, you know, this is something that it's the conclusion that I've come to with, with what we have to offer too. It's not that the yoga and the mindfulness don't do something. The, the benefits of that are very, very real in terms of, you know, uh, uh, creating resources for, uh, um, working with your states. Um, uh, I don't know how else to say it in the moment, but, but that really the, the power behind it is in the connection. It's in the community that, that forms in that. And it's in being able to rebuild trusting relationships. And I know that in, in when the work that we do in prison, that's like, I think it might be establishing that community is maybe even more important than anything else because of the impact of you know developmental trauma and relationships being able to form healthy relationships that are mutually supportive right and i think you said something about the person you were speaking of that you practiced with the, on echo yard when he when he got home or they got home you know they they had like that overwhelming feeling of all the noise and things moving so quickly i can tell you for me getting sober at 35 years old like i don't i didn't know how to socialize i didn't know how to make relationships but mm-hmm the Phoenix or like this supportive community that I knew as a safe place for me and that we were all on the same page and we all didn't care where each other came from, but we were here together kind of like gave me that place to practice being human again. So that when I did have to go out in the world, I knew that, you know, I could not feel like I was being judged or kind of like start erasing that stigma that I had felt. And it was kind of like a space where we can like come together and like lean on each other to, to become, you know, to feel you know, a part of again, a far, part of the community and then bring that back out into the world in every interaction we have. Yeah. Yeah. I, is the, um, the, 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 the move to include more activities beyond, uh, health and fitness, is, is that really intentional? Yes, very much so. So I think the Phoenix has done a really, really fantastic job of recognizing the magic that's happening in these communities. And we want it to be accessible to everybody, regardless of, physical limitations or interests or, or what, what might have you, we have a, I have a group of volunteers in Southeast Pennsylvania. They're all, they're all, um, 50 plus year old people that belong to a, a church group. They run on Sundays board game day. And then some Sundays they do what they're calling sober sports sports bar. And they'll put the football game on and create a space for people to come watch the football game. Yeah. We want to bring what we're, what we're finding with, you know, the yoga or CrossFit or climbing, to everybody, regardless of what their interests are. So if there's something that we can think of, I know for me here and and most of us or all of us program managers for the Phoenix, if there's something that's fun, safe and healthy, we'll do it. Just, just let us know that you want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, and, and really glad to hear that because one of the things that I'm very aware of is, uh, well, there's only so much you can work out. And and one of the things that I've appreciated about the the Phoenix events that I've that I've been to here in San Diego, and I lead practices occasionally, uh, yoga practices, uh, subbing for a teacher uh, when she's not able to, um, is that um, the time we'll often go and eat afterwards, and hang out and eat, and and so it's like extending that. And I love the idea. If there was a board game uh uh meet up here in san diego i would be there because that is so fun and um yeah that's really wonderful to hear because that accessibility is so important and i think um it you're really opening up the doors for greater and greater participation 
Right. And for, and for, um, for volunteerism. So like the Phoenix model is a volunteer led movement, right? So, you know, you or I might not be, we are, but you or I might not be someone that has a discipline specific practice that they would like to lead, but they want to be involved and they want to share this magical community with others. And their thing might be crocheting or a book club. And we want to empower them to say, Hey, let's, let's have you lead a book club. This is how, this is what Phoenix is going to look like for you. There's a lot of other people out there that are going to want to come and do it with you. Well, that is, that is excellent. So what is the pathway to get involved with the Phoenix as a volunteer? So if you wanted to, to sign up to be a volunteer, I mean, you could email me personally, or you could email volunteer support at the phoenix.org, but the best way is just simply go to our website, the phoenix.org forward slash volunteer. Um, from there, it'll cue you to download our brand new volunteer app, which we just launched in the last few weeks. Um, the onboarding process is relatively short. There's a few um, training videos that you'll be required to watch. We do a quick background check, and then you'll be put in touch with your local point of contact. If that's someone, if you happen to be in the state of New Jersey, that would be me. And we'll decide what it is that you want to share with the, the community and how you might be able to support our movement. Yeah. And I guess maybe we're leaping ahead because um, maybe the best way to start is just to simply start going to events, right? I think that would definitely be the first step. Just show up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the thing, you know, like I say that prison yoga project has, we've tried and it, and it's not, uh, we, it's, it, we, we haven't uh, mastered it. And I think the, the, the Phoenix has, and uh, you know how to reach people and you knowing, you know, you've got a, you've got a pathway to reach a critical mass that helps these uh, get togethers be self-sustaining. So you want to say a little bit just about the app and, yeah, I mean, well, so uh, f- funny or not funny story when we March 13th of 2000 is it 2020 when, when the pandemic started? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, uh, when our, our path forward at the time, we were a little bit of a smaller organization was to keep doing these, you know, our in-person events. Um, we had on on our plans, future plans to create our online platform so that we could have Phoenix anywhere in the world at the touch of your phone or your computer. Um, but that kind of was the instigator that said, okay, March 13th, we're not doing events anymore. So by March 15th, we got together as an organization, um, a core team and, and developed this online platform, which allowed us to continue the community support in our events throughout the pandemic and reach places that we never thought we would be able to reach before. Um, I can remember leading one of the first virtual meditations that, that first week, there was four or five people in there and then fast forward about seven or eight months i had 56 people joining me one person was from pakistan one person was from france one person was in hawaii so it was like that magic that i got to see building in new jersey at our community events i got to watch happen on my computer screen while i was sitting home during you know a national pandemic um so that that was a a point of growth for us right there that we were able to um continue supporting through that and reach that growth and give us some time to kind of plan what was going to be the next move. And then just about, I want to say about six months ago, we launched our member facing app, which means you can download our app on the play store or iPhone. You just type in the Phoenix sober active community. And then uh, you're officially a Phoenix member at that point. You then have access to all of our online classes, 70 plus classes a week. There's also on demand classes. If you can't make one, that's uh, at a time that's convenient for you. Um, But the real benefit is it will 
it has a geolocation thing. So you'll be able to see any in-person events that are happening within 50 square miles of your location, or you can change the zip code if you're traveling. Uh, and there's a connect feature. So yeah. it gives you the opportunity to connect to other members and volunteers across the country. And, and it has like a little bit of a social platform too. So there'll be like a New Jersey group, there'll be a yoga group and you can go in there and share pictures and inspiration and stuff like that. Um, so that's the way we have moved forward. And Throughout that time, um, when I started, I started working for the organization in May of 2019. That's when Route to Rise became the Phoenix. I think we had at all time served about 30, 33,000 people, members at that point. Um, so the last time that I looked, we were over 150,000 in, in you know, two years, yeah. two and a half years. So it, it's working and we know that there's the need out there. So it really just getting the word out. And one of the most exciting things for me is to go out and talk to a group of people and say, Hey, this is the Phoenix. This is what we do. This is what we offer. And like the light comes back to the, the eyes and like, why haven't I heard of this before? So like the need is there. I, I, I didn't realize that the app is like just a little more than six months old. Right. And, um, um, yeah, it's, uh, a little, it feels like an idea that should have existed for a decade, you know, uh, we've had this technology and so, um, uh, amazing to, to realize that it's, uh, uh, that it's so new and 400% growth in your community in that two year period in a period where I don't know, and maybe it's a, a, one of those silver linings, you know, that, that we were cut off from one another. Maybe that fueled that need for connection in a way that helped to, to spur that growth. That's really amazing. Um, I think, yes, that, and I think also the, with the, during, during the time that we were locked down. And then I think, once we started being able to get back in person, the need was so much more because even, you know, might've not felt like you had a substance use disorder, but a lot of people then had challenges with just isolation from all that time. And, you know, our community was there to greet them with open arms. And I can say like for, for the New Jersey chapter, we have consistently doubled our member base three years in a row now. Um, so like, that's just the, the trajectory that we've been in and, con and consistently double the amount of volunteers that are raising their hand and wanting to support this movement. Um, as an organization, like I said, we have roughly a little bit over 150,000 members. So our goal is to reach a million by 2025 and, and we're going to do it. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. Yeah. I believe, I believe that. Um, I had a, I had a question and it just, it just went out of my head here. I was, I was picturing, uh, our group in San Diego. Yeah. The, I, oh yeah. Yeah. This is what it is. You know, so there's, um, uh, there's a book, uh, that a friend of mine recently read called, oh, I think it's called the naked mind and talking about just how normalized uh alcohol consumption is and you know other other substances and not just other substances but like you know, addictive behaviors and i mean uh i i think one of the great addictive problems that we have in uh in our times is social media you know and just how much time we're spending on screens rather than actually connecting with other people in face-to-face -face environments um 
and really realizing that this could be the root of like a cultural transformation to normalize not having those substances being the focal point of gatherings, um, which feels really important uh, to me. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things on that. One, just kind of reflecting on my own journey there, like um, I'm grateful for, for all the experiences that I had, even if, even the extremely, what could be perceived as negative ones, because if it hadn't had all of those things happen to me, it wouldn't have led me to that couch and to find these practices and to finally find another way of living. Also, like it allows me to connect and share like, Hey, there's a way out of this. Um, one of my favorite things that happens here at the Phoenix is like I said, you don't have to self-identify as being a person that's in recovery from anything. Uh, we welcome supporters to anyone that just wants to be part of our community. And I have, who has become a very close friend of mine that comes to many of our events, never had a substance use disorder problem, never had any mental health challenges that, that he talks about, but he comes to events on a Friday night. He's like, because everyone else is going out drinking and I don't want to do that. You guys have, you all have fun here. I just want to have fun. Yeah. You know? and, and, and what's really cool too is, I've seen that happen more than not where someone is coming, not identifying as a person in recovery. And then a few months later being like, Hey, Chris, you know, like I haven't had a drink since I came to that first event. And then, you know, uh-huh. wearing a shirt that says sober on it because they're proud of it. Maybe they weren't forced into being sober, but found this way of living and found how beneficial or like against the mainstream it was and how I feel like the Phoenix kind of makes it look cool. I wear a shirt that says sober, maybe 200 days out of the year. I'm proud of it. And a lot of people come up to me and ask me about it. That's how we're kind of like the other side of our mission to shift the stigma around what addiction recovery might look like. You know, I'm I'm out there every day and I'm proud of where I've been and what I'm doing and, and that this organization and where we can go with it and kind of like, changed the way the world views, you know, substance use disorder, mental health challenges. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think about my community here. I live in, uh, I live in ocean beach in San Diego, California. It is a young beach town. And, um, at night there is literally nothing that you can do in a communal space uh, that's, that's, I'm, that's not entirely true because there are some yoga studios. You could go practice yoga and, uh, but unfortunately they'll often have events where they're mixing, uh, you know, wine and yoga or beer and yoga. And it's like, uh, come do yoga and then get a free pint after. Yeah. Why? Why? Do that. But, Why do yeah. that? <laughs> but I think there's a, you know, we've got a wonderful coffee shop here. I'll plug o- OB Beans. Um, and uh, But they close at five. And how many nights during the week do I wish that I could go and, and just be in that space and uh, read my book and be around other people or meet with a friend and, and, and hang out? Um, and yeah. And so, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate what this is. Uh, uh, what this is bringing and how it's expanding the concept beyond that initial seed that Scott had um, to, uh, you know, to do this. It's it's interesting. How much do you how much can you talk about like Scott's early journey in establishing the Phoenix? Is that- uh, not not so much, but I I know a little bit of the history of it. Yeah. Can so, you- so, so I know like Scott, Scott did get sober back in when when it's younger days in Boston and like moved to Colorado and found all of these activities that he, like I mentioned before, 
rock climbing. He can remember like if you ever get a chance to watch his TED talk, if you haven't already, it's it's called Finding Sobriety on a Mountaintop. Okay. Um, so like he can talk about being at the top of a mountain saying like, wow, this is like, this is really great. And I bet if I could get a bunch of people to do this with me, they could stay sober too. And it was kind of just that like flash, like, how do you get, um, a thousand people up on a mountain to experience this? So like, we're not going to get a thousand people on a mountain at once, but by doing what we're doing, we're able to kind of like share that experience that he had on a, on a wide scale. And I think that's kind of like the base of it. Um, but I know for myself, like I had mentioned while I was in that, um, shock incarceration camp, like the physical fitness piece made me feel great, made me feel optimistic. So being able to then pair that with the community of people that were also, you know, doing the same things, but staying sober through these healthy activities was the magic or was the final part of the puzzle for me, finding other people and connection in in conjunction with all of these activities and i'll say something else that's really cool um right now this weekend there's a there's a music festival happening in kentucky called the Bur- kentucky bourbon and blues festival so the phoenix has a sober space set up there it's a huge tent with couches and uh iced coffee and mocktails so the same thing like we're we're now expanding to include music as part of our programming because I don't know about you, but I've been to a bunch of concerts and it's not an easy place to stay sober. Uh, but <laughs> the same I thing. To, I used to go see fish whenever they were coming through Southern California. And I very much remember the parking lot scene. And I, you know, <laughs> I, I never wanted to get too fucked up, because, pardon my language, because uh, uh, I don't know, something about just being out of control doesn't doesn't. Uh, but man, it's hard not to. Somebody right. hands you something you don't necessarily know what it is that you just took. Right. And, um, yeah. And uh, I I miss the I miss going to shows. Um, uh, but d- where are they? They're all in bars, you know, or, right. you know, and and here in California, you know, we've also got, you know, legalization of marijuana. And so, um, you know, it's this is something that has become you know, almost default, especially in the community that I'm living in right now. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's it. Right. Like the, you talked about a little bit earlier and I think I did too, like making sober lifestyle look cool, right. Making it right. fun. And like, to me, like if I'm walking through a music festival, that's called the bourbon and blues festival. And I'm a sober person and I see a tent with a bunch of other people having fun and sitting on couches and like connecting with each other, I'm in there. And that's going to change my whole trajectory of like, I can still go to these kind of concerts and not get effed up. You know, like I can still have fun and connect with the the right people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something though, you know, I want to step back to something you had just said about being in that boot camp and finding that the physical exercise made you feel good because, you know, just like what I was saying, while, I now feel that the yoga and mindfulness, what we're doing is slightly less important than the fact that we're getting together and doing this as a group and the community that forms around that. And I don't know that if you take a broader picture of yoga, 
uh, or a broader picture of, of mindfulness, I think that includes relationship. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we work to move beyond is yoga is not just this asana practice, breathing practices and mindfulness practices, but there's a relational component to it. And how do we, how do we come together and support one another and not take power over one another so that we're allowing everybody to uh, have as clear a vision of reality uh, and a clear experience of reality as they can. But there's also something that's there that's very real. And there are things that happen when you're working out and when you're using your body that uh, do support recovery. You know, there's the science behind that. Um, can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, very much so. So I can, I can say this, the, the thing that was the combination, cause I knew already like the physical fitness piece. So from my research, and I'm not a scientific research, so I'm reading, you know, other people's studies. It can take up to 18 months from, from years of sustained drug abuse or substance use. It can take up to 18 months for your brain chemicals, your frontal lobe to, to get back to normal, your serotonin, dopamine levels and everything like that. Yeah. Physical fitness can help with that, make it happen a little bit quicker. And I feel like I experienced that throughout that uh, progression at, at the camp. But the thing that really kind of put in perspective for me on the spiritual aspect and on the, on the emotional aspect was meditation because we're intentionally rebuilding those, uh, the parts of our frontal lobe that were damaged from years and years of habitual unhealthy, um, practices. Mm -hmm. And now we're uh, for meditation for me, it's like a daily morning practice. I'm intentionally creating a new healthy habit and, rewiring completely changing the way that my brain's working um so for me it was the physical fitness was great but without the spiritual and emotional side of meditation and the, and with also what comes with the yogic practices it wasn't a full picture um so you know yeah. feeling better looking better but without that other aspect i would i personally wouldn't have got it it took me a long time to sit with meditation instructors and teachers and lots of reading to finally get it like okay like we're really here now like this is we're we're being present and we we I, we touched on it like the first thing that we said on here like i spent so many years of trying to not be present you know missing everything that was happening um now i'm really like acutely aware of everything that's happening all the time and it it's kind of like that um i've heard a phrase it's like a childlike curiosity and joy Right. So like I have a five-year-old niece, her name is Lila. We'll be playing and I'll pick up my cell phone and she'll be like, she calls me buddy, buddy, put the phone down. And like, <laughs> I, 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 I try my best now through these practices to greet life like that. Like yeah. when you're playing with Play-Doh with her, that is the only thing, singular point of focus that she cares about the full, she is fully present in that experience. And I feel like if we can, if we can take anything from that and it's like to greet life like that with that childlike curiosity and joy, like let's put the phone down. Let's really be here together. Yeah. That's so, that's, that's so funny. That's so beautiful. And uh, um, yeah. And this is something that, yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're, we've got a national crisis and I think the, the mental health impact of that distraction constantly pulling us away from uh, the present moment and from connection with our environment, from connection with uh, other people um, is uh, something that, 
uh, I desperately hope that we can move beyond. It's uh, it's just that general is it, I don't see it as any different from the escapism that we're that we're doing when we're, you know, first experimenting with substances or, or going out for drinks or escaping reality and, yeah. you know, in some way, shape or form. Yeah, it's altering our our brain chemistry and playing with that reward cycle in a in a way that um, you know. I mean, I often think in terms of evolutionary biology and and uh, that you know this the awareness that I have is it feels like the environment that we evolved physically to be in and that this machinery um, you know of you know all the neurochemicals and and everything that makes us run evolved for a different environment than what we're facing today. It evolved for a different way of relating with other people. It evolved, uh, you know, we have these super concentrated, um, communication feels good. Feeling connected to other people feels good. And so you've got Instagram where now I can scroll through and I can see all these faces and images and places and all of that is very, very stimulating. It's very, very shallow at the same time. And I think it just, while it, it triggers that release, that dopamine release, it just creates that cycle of craving for more and more and more and more and more. Um, Yeah. And, and so we have, yoga we have mindfulness we have meditation as a way of bringing ourselves back and rebuilding right through the neuroplasticity rebuilding the parts of our brain that are able to focus and be aware and to connect and all of that um do you still lead um the online uh practices so um actually that's a, a great question i since I, my role has evolved now i'm a senior program manager here i i do not but um the person ashley that i told you about took my place in leading that wednesday night meditation okay so if you were to go to our website in uh wednesday nights i think it's 9 p.m eastern standard time that woman ashley who introduced me to yoga and meditation is the person who leads that online meditation i can't wait which i think is kind of like full circle for me yeah yeah is that was she connected with root to rise previously previously uh not directly but her and amy had known of each other because they were in such close proximity a lot of people from her treatment center were going to amy's root to rise program afterwards yeah yeah sorry this is just personal curiosity the 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 root to rise was it was she was offering um yoga inside new jersey facilities like prisons and jails and and as well as in the community yeah so so the basis of the program i guess somewhat similar to what on a on a much smaller scale than what pyp offers is um treatment centers uh treatment center sober living is detention centers okay which was like a contracted thing and then uh which allowed her to then open a community space to also hold community programming for free for the for the general community okay okay i need to talk to her a little bit more about that and we are still in that same space that community space that amy had secured as root is now the phoenix new jersey so we're still in the same location that first doors that i ever walked through at amy's program is where where i still go now yeah. So what? So I and I know this that that the model shifted a little bit. the The original intention had been like, oh, well, we're going to have community spaces, and it's going to be they're going to be staffed by Phoenix uh, 
personnel, but then in order to broaden uh, the community and reach more people, the, the model shifted a little bit, but you still have community spaces in various communities? A few, a few spaces, and that's just dependent on, on um, financial aspect. But to your point, Bill, we want to reach as many people as possible. And as great as our community space in, in Belmar is, like we're still, that's going to be a finite amount of people that we can reach because that they're going to be dependent on transportation to get there, which there's still a lot of people that, that will benefit. But imagine there's a hundred yoga CEOs in New Jersey, or there's probably a thousand in New Jersey or more. But if each one of those had said, you know, one hour a week, we're going to host a sober Phoenix class here. That's yeah. volunteer led. We would reach many more people and create much more of a sober active movement than just our small community. So that's kind of like the the shift for us is like, how can we really like share this community with the most amount of people and being in one location is not the way. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's the, the, the I think um, for us, we're also realizing, you know, um, how do we, how do we reach more and it's not just about reaching more but i think you know i'm i'm seeing the phoenix a little bit differently with our conversation today and the idea of creating a a, a pocket in our society that that's growing that that normalizes sobriety and um and that feels like more of a systemic change if right. yeah and so and for us with the with PYP you know for us it was go going in with an outside uh facilitator coming into a prisoner jail in order to offer yoga mindfulness practices and we've shifted our uh, orientation to be more systems oriented so we would like to see a change in how we address crime addiction and mental illness um uh, a systemic shift in how we addressed crime addiction and mental illness uh, to from a punitive uh, oriented uh, system to a healing centered system. And we believe that, you know, the healing starts with the body and working with uh, embodied mindfulness practices and to create that shift from punitive to healing centered helps us to, uh, I think, open up what we're doing to create you know like we would love to educate correctional officers correctional staff around healing centered practices uh try to shift the landscape of those environments to um uh you know focus on healing rather than punishment and you know because the punishment just tends to be hyper counterproductive to what ought to be the ultimate goal of that arrest you know there needs to be sometimes in our lives a moment where we're stopped for our own good and for yes. the good of those around us mm -hmm. and given resources at that point not necessarily punished for the behavior uh there has to be consequences i think that there is harm um but um but but ultimately the the solution to the problem is not that just layer on punishment it has to be uh, a different approach uh, i would i would agree with that i would agree with it's kind of like that delegate balance because at least for me like i i i needed to be stopped i was not going to stop on my own yeah so like the the law enforcement interdiction was what saved my life but 
the fact that New Jersey is is quite progressive in their or drug laws here, and there's lots of resources available, um, is not the same. We can't punish our way out of this, but there's a place for consequences, but we can't punish our way. And and what you're saying is like, okay, so this happened, and now we're at this place. Right. How do we turn the punishment into healing? So when you do get back into society, you can be a a whole part of society and shift, you know, shift for the next person that that might be following the same path. Like, hey, you can do this, and this is what it might look like on the other side. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, you know, um, just to, I want to, I'll, I'll, I'll um, there's a uh, there's a book right now that we're 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 involved in a book club with the Trauma Research Foundation called The Master Plan. Uh, a guy named Chris Wilson. Um, it talks about the developmental trauma that he endured growing up as a young black man in uh, Washington, D.C., and the path that that the course that that took in his life. Um, uh, he ultimately took a life um, and was sentenced to life without parole, um, got lucky and use his own words there and was in, um, you know, the environment, as he describes, it still sounds like uh how but there were opportunities there that he took advantage of and what his life became you know um you know it became a purposeful life where he was there to support his community um and i think that's the 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 gift that's on the other end of all of this is that when we go through that that process that that our focus on helping others i think takes front and center for most people that go that that have come into redemption and so um yeah to keep to to encourage more of that to model more of that um let's go ahead and open it up i think to uh some q a from the uh from the audience here um and so if you uh would like to just type a question into the q a there's uh that down at the bottom of the oh we've got several questions already um uh the bottom of your uh your zoom bar um so uh tanya asks uh is the phoenix going to be coming to canada so the phoenix is in canada um i'm happy to share that um we have just started right now we're in ontario at our, our first program there is at all levels crossfit in ontario um, if you follow us uh, on on Instagram or Facebook, sorry to plug the social media, even though we no, had no, a it's, conversation. It's, it's, um, yeah, are all all level, yeah, all levels crossed in Ontario, and we're looking to grow our presence in Canada. So if you are in Canada and you're interested in volunteering to be part of our movement, please reach out. Yeah, excellent. Um, and uh, Julianne uh, asks, uh, can the programs and classes of the Phoenix, uh, be access to people who are incarcerated, uh, do community, do opportunities exist for groups to be formed amongst incarcerated people while inside? I love this question, Julianne. Thank you so much for asking it. So a couple of different things. And, and, um, we do have one program in Lowell, Massachusetts that was built out in the community correction center. So this is people that are incarcerated for, for a year or less. Um, they actually secured funding through the sheriff's department to build out a community space in their community corrections. And Phoenix goes in there and facilitates classes and volunteers go in there and facilitate classes multiple times a week for the men and women that are there. And that it also doubles as a space that when it's not being used by the community corrections is open to the community. So that's really kind of shifting dynamic too, because individuals are going there for their um, check-ins with their probation or 
um, recovery court officers and hanging out and having a workout with them afterwards, not just going there to take their drug test or, or have the, the consequences. Um, so that's one program. We work often with uh, the recovery courts here outside of people that are currently incarcerated. We're working to try and get with the sheriff's department in Monmouth County into their um, county jail system. Um, we also have, um, Bill, you may be familiar with Adovo, which is a tablet company that puts tablets in prisons across the country. We have our programming on a partnership with Adovo to have Phoenix programming on all the tablets in prisons across the country. And we're working to secure more partnerships like that that will allow us to get inside and, and help men and women behind the walls. Um, as far as like, can you volunteer if you are currently incarcerated and can you volunteer to run Phoenix programming inside a prison? We would love to have that happen. It would be dependent on the facility and the warden and, and the, the logistics that go along with that. Um, but yes, we would definitely be open to having that conversation and helping you make that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is one of those. Um, it becomes complicated when you start to work inside, and that's sort of where Prison Yoga Project um, we feel like, and the reason why we focused on. You know, though we tried to create things in the community, we realized that wasn't our skill set. Our skill set is, you know, negotiating the system so that we're able to create these opportunities inside. And uh, just to just to speak a little bit philosophically about, you know, our perspective, you know, what when we're inside a, a prison, uh, we're often working in an environment that is highly politicized in among the population. And so to have peer-led programs requires a very special like environment. Like it's not going to work on every yard in every prison. I can see it working in Donovan State Prison on Echo Yard. They have a lot of peer facilitated programs and actually we're working to count the work of uh a group of men that were part of my program, my yoga program. And over the course of the pandemic, as we were uh, barred from going inside, they started a um, they started a fitness center. As a matter of fact, I have I have the card. This is uh, this is Ryan's card. Um, mind, body, fitness and nutrition, Tai Chi, yoga, uh, exercise and nutrition science. Uh, office hours, 630 a.m. to 4 p.m. Room B, 113. And so they started this uh, organization or this space. It's really dependent on a space inside. And um, they do a better job of keeping attendance and records than we do sometimes. And uh, we're really hoping that we can make the programs that they're offering inside count those as prison yoga project, not because we necessarily want to own or control, but because if we can give more visibility to that happening there, then we create more opportunity for that elsewhere. Um, just one other small thing there, when we're going into prisons and jails, you know, we are bringing in facilitators that often have extensive, extensive training, um, you know, have spent tens of thousands of dollars, you know, to become yoga therapists or somatic experiencing practitioners. And we really do believe that uh, the, the system should pay to bring us in um, because that is the representative or emblematic of that systemic shift 
away from punishment and towards healing to value the services that are brought in in a healing way, especially in these areas where like a peer-led program isn't going to be possible because of the politics of the yard. Um, but uh, but I think more and more, I think the more we shift towards a healing-centered modality, the more peer-led programs are going to be possible. But there's always that administrative complication. Right. And then I think the other benefit, I mean, yes, absolutely, they should be paying for this because based just on the simple fact, and I don't know the statistics, Bill, but I am confident that the programs like yours are are reducing recidivism and reducing and reducing administrative uh challenges inside the facility as well so just based on that i mean it's it's a relationship of mutual benefit if i ever saw one oh yeah yeah absolutely we we definitely have the research it brings down incidences within the recidivism especially with the longer term event offenders um drops to like near zero um it's very difficult to document that though so and mm-hmm. once again thanks to the stand together foundation for their wonderful support and helping us uh enrich our measurement and evaluation program okay we got a couple more questions i want to make sure we get to everybody here and we're running out of time quick um uh does the phoenix have a model like pyp where they train volunteers to reach out and support yoga studios to have sober community practice uh what so bill can you clarify what is the model like pyp well so i i think i know the answer to this um the phoenix doesn't train volunteers they they train volunteers in like the py or the phoenix philosophy but in terms of whatever modality you're bringing whether it's crossfit or yoga they're not offering training in um that modality uh as a as a a general practice no we don't but that's going to be dependent on chapters like there has been times where there has been significant funding that we were able to train a yoga teacher or or a crossfit instructor um that's not a a broad statement that doesn't mean that you know we have two thousand volunteers that we we have the ability to train them all but in some circumstances it does happen that way but for the most part uh whatever it is discipline that you have a certification that you would like to share with the community we will train you in how to adapt that to be a phoenix um environment yeah yeah i'm actually hoping that one of the ways that the phoenix and pyp partnerships is to help provide trauma-informed training trauma-informed yoga training which would be amazing uh, as, as an opportunity for any volunteers with the phoenix to come to uh to one of our our trainings to help develop those skills um okay wendy asks uh uh does the phoenix own sober houses uh how so, who owns yeah. house be a part of the organization so the phoenix does not own sober houses there is another organization called the phoenix sober or phoenix recovery llc they own sober living houses and we often get phone calls for them um so we no we do not own sober houses we are a sober active movement we're not a sober recovery housing organization um but if someone owned a a sober living house and they wanted to become part of the organization we would be happy to invite them to come to some of our events um or bring our events to the house on some sort of cadence um, i hope that answers your question yeah it, it sounds like it does and wendy you can always follow up if you want more information um so laura laura says thank you so much 
Um, as a sober person, 26 years, I know firsthand how isolating it can be in a culture that is really alcohol-focused, at least in California. Uh, this is so exciting to learn about the Phoenix, and I definitely want to get involved to build community for myself and also volunteer. Um, I got sober through 12-step back in the 90s, uh, all that was out there. And I did really help. I it, And I did really find it helpful to look at myself and the behaviors and thought patterns I needed to address that the steps facilitate. In some ways, I needed help growing into being an adult. How does the Phoenix help people address this type of behavioral growth while getting healthy and building community? I recognize meditation and yoga can help facilitate this for sure. Are there other classes or groups? I think that's an excellent, excellent question. Yeah, Laura, thank you for thank you for your question and congratulations on your 26 years of sobriety. That's that is no small feat. Um, so a couple of, a couple of ways I'm going to answer this is yes, meditation, yoga, help facilitates for sure. Are there other classes or groups? We oftentimes do. We have something on our, uh, our virtual platform that's, that's led by, um, a, a, an influencer MMA fighter. His name is Graham McCormick. He does something called the growth Academy, which would mm -hmm. fall right into this as well. So that's just an example of, yes, we do offer other things that may be, um, in line with what you're talking about, I'm talking. We're thinking about here. We're developing a public speaking series to help people come and kind of like realign their social skills and public speaking uh, abilities. So kind of like growth in that way. But I think the real answer to this is going to be with our community standards. So if I just run through like when you come to a Phoenix event, what makes a Phoenix event? The Phoenix event is our community standards. So picture yourself being a person that just came out of. Uh, maybe just finished being incarcerated, maybe just came out of a treatment center, maybe just came out of a, a, a experiencing temporary homelessness and that's the first place you're going. When you enter our space, we go over our community standards and you have, uh, we ask that you have 48 hours of community, uh, continuous sobriety. We ask that there be no violent or threatening language or anything that might be offensive, nothing homophobic, transphobic, racist, anything like that. No smoking. Um, we ask people to recognize that this is not a dating club. So just to kind of like check your intentions and why you're coming. Um, and we ask people to just know that service is a part of many of our recovery journeys. So volunteering might be a way that you get involved. So I think by kind of like setting the standard of what this safe, healthy and fun environment might look like, that will help us grow as a person and individually um, in building, you know, while building community together. And like I mentioned before, for me, 35 years old, I didn't know how to be part of any uh, sober society, sober social environment and social environment at all. Um, and having a place where I knew that people wanted me there were not judging me, um, didn't question where I came from, gave me an opportunity to just grow and kind of practice being a person again without substances, because I'd spent, you know, 25 years doing drugs and drinking alcohol everywhere I went. And that's the only way I knew how to act. So I kind of like had to, to relearn again, what it meant like to just be a, a, a person a sober person. Um, so giving me the environment that I knew that I was safe and accepted, um, gave me the ability to grow in the way that you're talking about. Yeah. Awesome. We're getting close to time. Um, if there are any more questions, get them in the Q and a now. Um, I want to do a couple of plugs in the meantime. First thing I want to do is to share a link. If nobody's done it at this point, um, for the Phoenix, uh, website, it's very easy. The Phoenix 
uh, org, and um, you can get links to the apps there. You can search for classes in your area there. Um, that is, uh, you know, and and I highly encourage everybody, uh, you know, come check this out. <laughs> I think um, so. There's a number of ways that I hope that the Phoenix and PYP work together uh, uh, in the in the future, because I believe there, there's so much overlap, you know, as I mentioned, um, having that warm handoff, uh, and a community that, that folks that are coming out of prisons or jails can get involved with, um, and become a part of the Phoenix community, um, whether it's practicing yoga or whatever event you go to, um, the community aspect is, is key and crucial. Um, and so please, um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna start for our folks uh, in places where we know that they're they're getting out, especially where there are active Phoenix communities recommending people check it out when they get out. Um, <clears throat> I hope that um, that you know, as I mentioned before, that that we can create opportunities for folks that are yoga. Uh, teachers with the Phoenix to participate in our training, because I think our values align really, really well. And I'm very proud of our training. I think uh, what, what, what we do, uh, the orientation that our uh, organization has come to around how we facilitate yoga is special and unique. And I, I, I want to share it with the whole world. Um, and so the other thing we have people um, people on this list of attendees that are facilitators with Prison Yoga Project. And um, and I would consider or I would recommend that anybody who's a facilitator with Prison Yoga Project or a part of our community who is a teacher and trained in our methodology, please check out the Phoenix as a possible opportunity to volunteer in your community to help them grow uh, their uh, ability to reach more and more people, and also to start to create that community on the outside where uh, our people that we've practiced with on the inside can come and connect to um, and, and get involved with in a way that feels very familiar to them. Uh, so facilitators, uh, I hope you all have another opportunity to serve here. Um, one more thing that uh, we want to let you know about. Um, um, I, there's a whole list of things, but I'm going to start with this. Um, so we are, we were formerly fiscally sponsored by the Give Back Yoga Foundation and Give Back Yoga Foundation, as well as the International Association of Yoga Therapists um, and some other organizations are hosting a yoga and recovery summit and uh you can uh this is happening online the 23rd to the 25th um and uh you if you uh sign up for the the summit and you can't attend the virtual sessions there the recordings are going to be available for a year and they've got some really great um uh speakers coming up um uh, russell brand is going to be a part of of this that was just announced i think this past week uh dr jill bolte taylor who has the most uh, watched ted talk of all time where she uh, walks you through her experience of having had a stroke from the perspective of a neurobiologist she'll be there she has been working very closely with the uh, uh, nikki myers who is the founder of yoga 12-step recovery to bring uh the the what what 
her understanding and perspective of uh, uh, the structure and organization of the brain into uh, the work that Y12SR is doing there. And there's a whole list of people. So go ahead and check that out. Um, and we we highly recommend this event. We're proud to be a, a supporting organization for the symposium. So that's, that is that. Chris, is there anything you'd like to plug and also last thoughts that you'd like to leave us with? Uh, I don't really have anything I, I really would like to plug except to check out our website at www.thephoenix.org. Check out one of our virtual programs if you can, or if you are so inclined, please download our app and see if you can join us in person. I did put my email there in the chat. If you had any questions for me and you weren't able to ask them today, I'm happy to to connect with you outside of this. Um, and final thoughts. Um, thank you for having me today. This was a really awesome conversation. I love the work you do as a person that has been previously justice involved. I know how important it is and how impactful it is. And I really, really appreciate what you're doing. And I, I hope to continue working with you in a way that we can kind of change the tide a little bit, like you said, to create more of a healing atmosphere everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. I'll just say, you know, that, that this year has felt very transformative for for pyp and thanks thanks to the stand together foundation for picking us as a catalyst partner and helping bring us together with organizations like the phoenix because uh you know it's not going to be one organization that creates that that change that shift that cultural shift so um yeah wonderful to be in relationship with you and all the way across the country yeah yeah, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you very much. I think we have one more uh, one more quick question. Do you offer lectures, workshops, or retreats abroad, out of state, online? Lectures, retreats, workshops. So so um, maybe not so much lectures. We do offer workshops, um, retreats abroad, out of state. So we are a national organization, so I'm not really sure what you mean by out of state. So that, I guess the best way to would be to contact um, us info at the phoenix.org from whatever state you're in. And we can put you in touch with the local point of contact to see what sort of retreats might be available to you. We do offer online. We have 70 plus classes slash workshops a week. We even have a dungeons and dragons yes. group that meets once a week. So I would, I would invite you to check that out. Totally. Yeah. How'd you know I played D and D? <laughs> I didn't, but I love it. Miles, I was going to mention it. I was going to mention it when when uh, Laura had asked about the the um, how does the Phoenix help people address this type of behavioral growth while getting healthy and building community. I was going to mention it's a therapeutic role playing experience that's hosted by a person who is, I think, a marriage family therapist. Miles, uh, Miles is also a, a fantastic meditation instructor from the Dallas Meditation Society. Okay, excellent. Yeah. So lots of different things to check out. So definitely go on the the Phoenix, uh, the Phoenix.org and check out all the offerings. And and Doe, um, you know, I would be surprised if there wasn't something in the Tucson area uh that you can get connected with and and get started with. So yeah. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Chris. And um and uh, be well. We'll look forward to seeing you all again soon. Thanks.